Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. We were going to have a challenge payoff, but unfortunately, I don't know if it was the post office or UPS or a company on the other end, but the thing did not get to Ari's house. The one chip challenge, Ari Wasserman is supposed to eat a Carolina Carolina Reaper pepper covered tortilla chip because he bet on Virginia Tech and lost, but... It is not there yet. So, Ari, you, you have a reprieve, a Reaper reprieve. I'm not uh, looking forward to it, and I've been reading reviews about people who have had really bad reactions to it. So, uh, you know, you've Didn't had... somebody send us a 911 call? Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but uh, I'm not mad that it didn't show up yet. So, um, but it, I just, it kind of gives me an opportunity here, Andy, to say that the spirit of the bet, though... Like so, you know how sometimes you think something and then you make a bet about something and then that thing doesn't happen, but the thing yes. that you were warning them about was true. You were correct, but you still lost. Right, and that's what's what so frustrating about it. I feel like I was right. These lines are fishy. It makes no sense. Virginia Tech outplayed Miami for the entire course of that game, and you know they didn't get it done. And, and maybe that's part of you know that's part of gambling, and you got to pay your debts for that. But in, in terms of things being easy let me tell you something it's a front row seat and letting you know how nothing ever is even with lines that don't make sense so uh you uh you won that round for sure and you know eventually when this thing shows up in the mail we'll 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 get it done but uh as of right now we're still waiting and I'm, i'm i'm actually thankful that the u.s postal system or whatever it is is taking its sweet time because i'm not looking forward to that it is uh it is a daunting daunting challenge Looking at this week's lines, I don't see an obvious stinker like that Miami-Virginia Tech one. The Miami-Virginia Tech one jumped off the page. And I think, you know, there's probably a reason for that. Some folks probably had some some info that Miami was kind of hanging by a thread. Uh, and they, as Manny Diaz said after that game, they barely got it played uh, because Miami almost didn't have enough people to play. And then this week comes and they don't have enough people to play. So uh, they are now quarantining, you know, doing, doing all the the stuff you got to do. And they barely got that game in. So that was probably why that line stunk. Not a lot of stinky lines this week. A couple interesting ones, just because we don't know what the teams are. I mean, I'm looking at LSU, Arkansas and LSU is a two and a half point favorite at Arkansas. I have no clue which LSU team is coming to Arkansas. Is it the the team that crushed South Carolina or the team that got crushed by Auburn or is the true team somewhere in the middle there? And I don't really know how that matches up with Arkansas. Yeah, well, these are landmine games because uh you know, you never know exactly which spot on the turf you're going to step and sometimes it's the right spot and sometimes it's the wrong spot, but I guess a, a good way to to field the first one starting off with this LSU game is if LSU isn't as bad as some of their games are and aren't as good as their blowout um, was, where do you think they are in terms of in the middle? Um, like, does is the team that's in the middle of those two things two and a half points better than a road game at Arkansas? I'm not sure. I, I feel like the middle of those two teams is pretty evenly matched with what we've seen from Arkansas so far this year. Yeah, I, I don't know. We were joking about this earlier, Andy, but like wh- whatever thought that in mid-November – 
when in doubt, take the points with Arkansas because they're a tough team. They're <laughs> playing at home. I, and there's <laughs> right. This spread they just in got general, beaten badly by Florida in, in a game where I don't think Arkansas played particularly poorly in that game. I thought I think Florida was just really good, and so I don't. I just don't know what to take from any of this. Yeah, I don't really know either. And you know, this is type of game that when you're kind of in a situation that you don't know, it's just there's plenty of other games out there to get to. Um, but I kind of feel that way a lot for this year, more so than past years, just because of you know the fact too that you don't really know what you're getting until the hour before kickoff because people don't play and you know teams aren't always as 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 good as we think they're going to be as a result of mispractice time and all this other stuff. It's kind of just a crazy, crazy season. It's like, sometimes I like to picture myself, Andy, you know how sometimes like you're in June and you're just like hanging mm-hmm. out at home and then they release these lines for like November games uh, at the golden nugget in Vegas. And it's just like super exciting. Like, can you imagine if- when I was doing daily radio, I like to call that the best day of June in the whole wide world. Uh, yeah. Because, Cause it gave you otherwise, to talk about, otherwise yeah. you're talking about movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that day, Imagine if they would have released some of these lines for November that day. Um, People would have thought they slid into a parallel universe. Michigan minus ten and a half. Yeah, (laughs) we'll get to all these lines, but (laughs) you know, I was I was talking with uh, um, Jesse on the Big Football Show, and we were joking about the lines. But like, is the Big Ten West better than the Big Ten East? Like, this is like where we're at right now. Like LSU and Arkansas is just the beginning of this winding bizarro world show we're going to have because all these lines that I'm looking at that you sent me that we're supposed to discuss don't make sense. None of them do, at least with the perspective of, of June. Well, let's okay. Let's talk about that big 10 West big 10 East question, because we talked about the, the idea of big 10 tiers on the podcast on Sunday with Matt Fortuna. And I feel like there's, there's a top and that's Ohio state. And then, you know, below them, Wisconsin and Indiana, and then there's a middle, and Northwestern might be in the top, or it might be in the middle, I'm not entirely sure, but it's like Northwestern, maybe Purdue, maybe Iowa, and then everybody else at the bottom. It's not a, it's not a high-quality top-to-bottom conference, but the West being better than the East is something we thought would never happen <laughs> with the groups of teams that are in those divisions. So Ohio State is better than them all, but the second-best team in the East is Indiana, is Indiana better than Wisconsin? No. Is Indiana better than Northwestern? I think they're even. That's okay. And then you go down from there, and and you saw a an unsuccessful West team versus an unsuccessful East team in Wisconsin, or I'm sorry, in, in Nebraska, Penn State last week, and Nebraska won that game. Now, I do want to know from you, Ari, what do you think happens with Penn State now that the, it seems there's been a quarterback change? You know, Levis seemed to give them a better chance to win last week. They've got Iowa coming in. I, I suppose this is yet another game to prove your theory that the West is better than the East this year. But I feel like if Penn State is capable of making some plays more than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage, which they seem to be in the second half last week, maybe they can actually beat Iowa. Maybe they can get off the schneid. Yeah, I mean, I just like look down the list, and I think that there's two super competent teams on – uh, the top of both sides in the West and the East. And I think that, you know, that might change this week because the two top two teams in each division are playing this weekend. Um, so that might 
changed our perspective a little bit, Andy. But like when you look down at some of the teams that are below, I have no no confidence in Rutgers, Maryland, Michigan State, Michigan, or Penn State to show a pulse in any game. That doesn't mean that they're not going to win. Uh, and we'll get back to the Penn State thing in a second. But at least like Purdue has shown a pulse. Um, Iowa has blown out two teams in a row and rammed the ball down Minnesota's throat without any threat of being stopped. And Nebraska made a quarterback. Michigan had a good offense against Minnesota. Let's not forget that. Yeah, they did. <laughs> well, Minnesota's defense, especially the defensive line, I've I don't know what has gone on there, but it is it is past watchable at this point. So, you know, we we definitely uh, picked the wrong side, or I picked the wrong side of them. I've picked the wrong side in the Michigan game every single week since week one. I can't. I picked them against Wisconsin last week because of the thought that maybe half of Wisconsin's team wouldn't be playing. And guess what, Andy? They could have been missing sixty players, and they still would have won that game. And it would not have mattered. It wouldn't okay. have mattered. Well, we're not going to make we're not going to make a bet on this one because we've already got a bet that needs to be paid off whenever whenever the chip gets there. Yeah. But you're right. You have been on the wrong side of every Michigan bet this year. So let's do it again. Michigan minus 10.5 at Rutgers. Yeah. And this is one of those a year ago, if, if I'd said there's a question about whether Michigan can cover this, people would have thought that we were in an alternate dimension. But that is a very real question right now here in 2020. Yeah, I played the Rutgers-Illinois game last week and sat there and watched it for four quarters, and I thought to myself, why would you do this? And I, I know that Rutgers is a much improved program, and um, you know they seem to be on the right track, and I anticipate that they'll be a much better team in three or four years when Shiano gets things going a little bit. But like, I'm going to lay the points here again. Um, I, I, I bet and think Wisconsin or, uh, Michigan's going to win every week, Andy, and it never happens, but... If there's even a 15% of a fight left in that program, they should be able to win by 11, right? They should be able to win this game by 11. One New Jer- would think. New, New Jer- yeah, I mean, the team that beat Michigan, Michigan State, lost to Rutgers. And I know the transitive property doesn't yeah. apply this year. But, I mean, l- listen, and Rutgers was somewhat frisky against Ohio State. Now, obviously, they had no chance yeah. to win, but they were frisky. And, yeah. and I, I would like to see Greg Schiano running every trick play in the book against Jim Harbaugh. Do we really? And, and just, yeah, do we really just think make that, that happen? There's two things that are happening. Michigan is 30% of what we thought they could be, and they still could win this game by 11, or Michigan has completely packed it in. The program is in shambles. The, the players have... Uh, drifted, Jim Harbaugh's lost his team, and the entire thing is on fire? Or do you think there's like a 30% chance that Michigan like has some fight in it and the $8.5 million a year coach can turn it around a little bit? Because like this is the one time where Michigan should be able to win a game like 24-10, to 10, right? It doesn't even have to be a pretty... Yeah. It can still be an ugly, disgusting Michigan sucks game, and they can still cover the spread with ease. So, like to me, I... I have so I have faith in Michigan every week. I pick them every week, and I'm like ever since week one, I've picked them every week, and I've been wrong every single week. And it's just like eventually they're going to show some sort of spark of even giving a crap, right? Or is it so far gone at this point that it's just like let's just hurry up and pack it in because you have to be. I think they do give a crap. I I really do. There's nothing about the way they were playing or the body language that suggested to me they have they have bagged it on this season. They just aren't very good. Yeah, I um, I don't know that I I don't know how how far down that path I can go with you. It looked to me like they just were overwhelmed, and 
you know, because well, here, well, see, but that's just aren't, that's just not very good. Being overwhelmed is not being very good. That's not quitting. I know, or, but the talent on this team, like the talent on this team doesn't suggest that they should be over. They were overwhelmed against Indiana too. And it's just like there's no explanation for that um, other than, I mean, what is it? Lack of development, lack of coaching, lack of game plan, whatever you want to say it. They got their, they just got their ass kicked. And like, if well, that's here's, who okay, they are, that's the who they are. But I don't know that's who they are against Rutgers. If they lose to Rutgers, all your questions are answered. And, and you know what to do if you're Michigan. Because, you know, the, we've talked about this over and over, and, and we're going to talk about it again because it, it remains interesting Jim Harbaugh has one year left on his contract. You, you, you've got to decide at some point whether you're going to extend him or not. If you lose to Rutgers, you kind of know what the, what the decision is supposed to be, I think, at that point. And I want to run this by you because I, in my mind, I've kind of already moved on. I, I think that if you just keep looking further and further into the future, you see a future where those two parties are not together after this year. And Matt Fortuna brought up something really interesting on Sunday, and, and you'd given me a bunch of names if, if you know Harbaugh and Michigan weren't together anymore. He gave me one more, and I think it's one that, that they absolutely need to think about because I think if things go the, the, the way I think they're going to go, they'd have a chance, and that's Mario Cristobal. I read your mailbag. <laughs> so what do, you, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Do you think that would be... I do. A marriage that would work. I think that Mario Cristobal is the best candidate for about five jobs that you can come up with. I think he's the best candidate for Texas. If that opens up, I think he's the best candidate to replace Nick Saban at Alabama, having coached there. I think he's the best candidate for Michigan, and I didn't even put him on my list because I don't even know if that's like the uh, uh, a good scenario for him. I mean, I, I think you could make, before we go down the road of whether or not that would make sense, do you think he would even leave Oregon for Michigan? Because like, I think you could make an uh, argument that Oregon's a better job. Okay. Oregon can probably pay him $5 million a year if they're really digging deep. Michigan pays its coach $8.5 million a year. Yeah, I don't know if they'll do that right. again, though. Okay. Let's say they want they pay him six and a half. Yeah, it's still yeah. It's I mean, still one and a half yeah. more than Oregon can probably pay. Yeah, and and look, I don't want the Oregon fans to get mad here, or Rob Mullins to get mad at me. I know Rob Mullins wants to make a deal with Mario. I know they are working for, on an extension. I know that they want to do right by him. They want to give him a raise. They want to you know pay him more commensurate with his level of success. I get that, but I also know, and I've talked to Rob Mullins about this a lot, that. Uncle Phil can't just write a check every time you want something and doesn't just write a check every time you want something at Oregon. You have to work for it, and their fundraising capacity is not what Michigan's is. So Michigan can pay more. Texas can pay more. USC can pay more, a lot more. So unless you just think Oregon is your easiest path to the playoff and you can't get there any other at any of these other places, which is not... I just don't think that's true. I think if you if you do the roster upgrade at Michigan that Mario did at Oregon, you can compete with Ohio State, and you can make the playoff. Mario Cristobal's uh, twenty twenty one class at Oregon ranks number four nationally right now, and it has eleven players in the top one hundred and fifty 
um, committed right now, which would be the best recruiting class in the history of Oregon football. And they play in a conference uh, that doesn't really have much competition, uh, especially considering the fact that USC has fallen back to number 10 and might be at number 11 here pretty soon in the recruiting ranking. So USC is always going to be a challenge, but Oregon, despite the fact that they don't have a fertile recruiting territory in their own backyard, um, you know, I understand that they have Nike and, you know, all the attractiveness of like the cool nature of playing with the uniforms and the offense and all. I mean, Oregon has plenty to it's sell. It's still hard to convince people to move a long way away. It is. And, that's and, a, and they have and to do that constantly. It. Yeah. And, he, and he's doing yeah. it. So like the question of would Mario Cristobal be the right person for the job? I think that like, yes, you take that person uh, right now and you move forward in that position. And I would be confident in that. Um I, I think that he's done more than enough, and maybe you want to see a little bit more of translating that talent into success on the field, and you know maybe this year we'll see uh, some more I, of that. I, I don't feel know like how it's much translated pretty well. I mean, I was watching their offensive line play last week, and remember, this is an offensive line that replaced five guys because the returning Outland Trophy winner opted out, so they don't have that guy. And they are still resetting does, the line of scrimmage when they're running the ball. But does Oregon I, have I'm, to get I'm to the playoff to, for him to be a legitimate, like, uh, does he, do they have to make the playoff for him to be so. a legitimate candidate for a Texas or an Alabama or anything not, like that? Not, no, because this year, it, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Pac-12 has no chance of making the playoff. No, I know, but... Because, because of the way it's set up. There, there's no non-conference. Now, the Pac-12 can play non-conference as of the day we're recording this, Thursday, they can now do that. If I were Oregon, I'd find an excuse to, to – I'd call one of my Pac-12 opponents and be like, look, you can't make it this week. Call BYU. Hey, uh, BYU, we got an opening. Like, yeah. Oregon needs that. Yeah, I want I want to – I mean, I don't know. I think that if they run the table and they win their conference and are 7-0 and at the end of the year, they might have a chance. But, like, what the, the question isn't so much what is going to happen this year. The question is, have you seen enough out of him in his time at Oregon and what he's already put together in this year's class to make him – make the argument that he's already a candidate for those schools or are they is it yes I, i've seen i feel like i've seen enough I, I i do because they they've raised the level of play uh he's had to replace coordinators and he's done that so i i do think we've in in the very compressed time he's been there he's he's shown a lot of the different skills that you need to show to show that you can build a program successfully but again if oregon can pony up a bunch of dough if i'm him i just stay there but if Michigan or Texas or whoever is offering me considerably more, then I'm probably going to take that. Yeah, yeah. I think Michigan is so terrified of making a culture uh, a culture mistake again that they might not go in that direction. I think it's kind of hard to I, – I don't know if even this is fair to Mario because it probably isn't, but – you know, the transition from the offense that Rich Rod ran at West Virginia up to, you know, what could have happened at Michigan, it seems a little bit familiar to me, at least in just like the high-flying offense that, you, you know. You mean, I, you mean the offense that everybody runs now, basically? Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. Offense? I'm just saying, like, I'm just trying to put myself in Michigan's perspective, and you I've mean, heard every single You mean thing. the offense that, remember how Urban Meyer used to coach at, at Ohio State? <laughs> yeah. You remember? Yeah. You, you know who Urban Meyer You're not trying to convince me, from? Andy. You have to convince Rich them. Rod. You're not convinced. I know. Me. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> You've heard every single not, reason why they wouldn't hire X number of coaches over the course yeah. of the past five years. I'm but just it, reiterating not, to you that it but might that be a thought is process. Mainstream now, like no, it's mainstream. They would not be bucking any trends. I know, but I, I, and maybe not just based on the offensive philosophy. I just mean like just the the origin of what that program is known for, and kind of like how it kind of 
has manifested into a place that can recruit a top five program or a top five class because of like what they're known for. It seems West Virginia E to me to think that way. And I know that Mario Cristobal isn't the person that built it. I don't know if that's a no, stretch. I, here's here's the like, thing. You got to put yourself in Michigan's shoes. They're very odd about this. They're scared about this. All that was over by the time Mario became the head coach. It, it was over when Mark Helfrich went four and eight and got fired. And so they went and hired Willie Taggart. And Willie Taggart brings Mario with him, and Mario ends up becoming the coach when Taggart leaves, which is the, just the luckiest stroke ever for Oregon. But that was over. It's the same thing when I talk about Chip Kelly and how he needs to learn to win conventionally now at UCLA as opposed to having this major paradigm shift that he was able to create and take advantage of. And, and he should get all the credit in the world for that. But... That was gone. That was over with by the time Mario Cristobal You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I'm just telling you the irrational thought processes of how things are viewed in that realm might make it seem a little bit too uncomfortable for a, a program that's already shown that has pause going out and trying to get somebody that isn't a Midwest person or isn't a Michigan man or all the things that we've talked about the last two weeks. And, like, I don't know for sure. You know whatever. who wasn't a Michigan man? Bo Schimbeckler. No, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) You're preaching to the choir on this stuff. I know. I'm just telling you there is this phobia at Michigan of hiring the wrong person because they don't want it to look like what it used to look like under Brady Hoke, even though it looked like that on Saturday night. That's what it is. And I just don't know if Mario Cristobal fits the profile based on where he coaches and the reputation of the place that he coaches, regardless of whether or not it's over with. Because I agree with you, it is. It doesn't. It, I don't know if they're going to view this as the ideal fit, despite the fact that I think that they should hire any coach that has proven that they can f- uh, sign a top five class, despite having no natural recruiting footprint and I know that Nike is a big deal and that there are certain things that Oregon but, can sell but that everybody most other... has cool uniforms now Lots I know I know Nike like it, I know I mean, it's that all of that stuff is is overrated I what Mario Cristobal has done he's done on his own I agree you know, that, that that's the thing I and, and look I realize we're probably just making him more money <laughs> the more we talk and, and it might be to stay at Oregon. And I, I don't care what happens. So it's great either way. But he has he has done a good job. And I realize I'm also the person who said don't extend somebody when they haven't earned it. I think Mario has earned it. Yeah. And I, I just one other thing I wanted to say. He, he can win long term. Mario Cristobal's recruiting class has 23 commitments. Okay. I was just counting. Waiting for think- your internet. No, 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 no. I was just counting something real quick. He's got commitments from 12 different states. California, Arizona, Utah, Maryland, Mississippi, Alabama, Colorado, Nevada, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, and Texas. I said that really fast, but I just wanted you to to come along this well, journey with me because, to me, if he's going to be coaching at Texas. That's what you need to be able to do at Michigan. Right. Michigan, Alabama, Not at Texas, Texas but yes, at Michigan. Not yeah. at Texas, but still kind of at Texas. But if you go to Michigan, that's absolutely what you need to do. So, for me... All the things that I said that you were pushing back on, I'm happy you pushed back on them. I agree with you completely. I hope Michigan would agree with you completely because I think he'd be a tremendous hire if, A, he wanted to do it, and, B, Michigan could get out of their own way. Yeah. And, and look, we don't know what's going to happen with Harbaugh. If you read Nick Baumgartner's story on Thursday, it's still very much up in the air. And, look, I understand that. I, because the Michigan administration 
has not demanded national championships. That that's not their thing. And the thing is, though, I think you should demand competitiveness, and I don't know that that's what they're getting now, and I'm not sure they're going to get it in the future. I don't know that I don't see a, a way back from this to being able to beat Ohio State, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, well, it's like funny to me because like whatever's happened here, the the metric of whether or not Jim Harbaugh should be kept around or how far down the hopeless rope a lot of the fans are really hasn't been about Ohio State. It's been about losing to Michigan State and being uncompetitive uh, against Wisconsin. And it's just like... Well, they don't, yeah. they don't think about Ohio State anymore. Yeah. And nor should they. That's the problem. Because there's no chance. Yeah. But that's the thing that's always been confusing to me. Why, has, why did it take this to get to this point? The second you stopped thinking that there was a chance that they could beat Ohio State is the second it failed. It didn't fail because they lost weird games to Wisconsin and Michigan State. It failed when you weren't even able as a fan to dream about what it would be like to beat your rival. That's the so problem. So 2018. It's been over the, for the two Ohio or three State years now. Yeah. The game in 2018 is the game yeah. we're in. Because that's the game they came in favored. They got boat raced. It was never remotely close. And you realize, wait, that there's And if the Michigan, if Michigan would have beaten Indiana, they would have beaten Michigan State, and they would have beaten Wisconsin this week, and they would be 4-0 right now. There would be zero thought process whatsoever about getting rid of Harbaugh because they won the games that they could – like the pretty good games that they – that they should win most of the time and you know are still undefeated and then they're going to go lose by 60 to Ohio State again that's the that's the realm like the second that they are, became okay with losing to Ohio State is the second this whole thing went awry um yeah that's that's the whole thing about this so if you want to go uh 9 and 3 or or 10 and 2 and lose to Ohio State every year then keep him. I mean, I'm, I think he's more than welcome willing and able to do that. They've lost a lot yeah. of talent and they weren't supposed to be very good this year. Um I think they're drastically worse than what they thought they were going to be, but if you want the, your program to be 10 and 2 and to go play in the Outback Bowl after losing 63 to 21 to Ohio State every year, you got your coach. <laughs> you have him. Oh yeah. And and he could get whoever gets the job at South Carolina another extension. Yeah, that's why that's why South Carolina owes Will Muschamp so much money because they they beat Michigan in the Outback Bowl. Yeah, I mean, quit they got really about, excited after that. Quit worrying, <laughs> quit worrying about this. Quit worrying about this. You're going to have down years every now and then, but if you can't beat Ohio State and you're okay with it, there's no reason to make a change. So speaking of Ohio State, the Buckeyes are twenty and a half point favorites against Indiana, and this if Indiana was two and two and not four and zero, oh, this would be a game back during the latter-day Urban Meyer era at Ohio State that you'd be really worried about the Buckeyes in. But now they're 4-0, and everybody's talking about how this is a top-10 matchup, whether it is or not is another question, and you can't sneak up on Ohio State like this. And that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if uh, Urban Meyer were the head coach if I'd be worried about this either. (laughs) Um, The thing. Well, no, not not under these circumstances. No, I'm saying if this this Indiana team were 2-2... Let's say they'd lost to Penn State, and let's say they'd, you know, kind of, yes, spit up against Michigan or Rutgers. Then it, it would be different. But yes, now they're they're very much on guard at Ohio State. They will be ready, and that's not what you want if you're Indiana. Yeah, I think that it's a a very good spread, um, and I think that the spread being almost three touchdowns has to give you more confidence that Ohio State's going to cover it because there's no weirdness about it. Like earlier in the year when Ohio State opened up as a 13-and-a-half point favorite against Penn State, 
it was such an odd spread. And then if you watched that game, it was just a truly odd game. And I know that it moved down to 10.5, and, and Ohio State ended up winning by 13, but they didn't cover the 13.5. And, and it's because they had that weird field goal before halftime and all these weird late hit penalties. And it was just one of these like clunker games that, despite the fact that Ohio State was head and shoulders better than Ohio State, they still didn't do enough to cover that measly spread. And it's like, if you would have seen the 12 or the 13 point spread in this Indiana game, it might make you think like, what weirdness is going to happen in this game? But the fact that they just came out and said, you know what, guys, we know it's a top uh, 10 matchup on paper. People in, in Bloomington are excited about this, whatever. They just threw it three touchdowns. Does anybody think Ohio State's not going to score 48 points in this game? Not me. Does Indiana I think, think that I think they, they're going to? Does anybody think that Indiana is equipped physically at any single point to be within three touchdowns of this team? No. So, like, <laughs> I, I mean, know that it's a top ten matchup, and Indiana earned this ranking. They beat Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, and as we've talked about, that's not the same meaning as what it used to be. And I don't know if that'll happen again for a long time, but earning your spot in the current top 10 does not the same thing as being a legitimate top 10 team. And I think that those are two separate things. So I, I no, think I, I agree. Indiana is going to maybe hit a few big plays. Maybe they'll score a touchdown or two early, but I, I think the final score of this game is going to be something like 55 to 17. I think that it's going to yeah, be an that, easy cover for Ohio state. I want it to be close. I really do. Yeah, I everybody want to see does. It'd be challenged. Yeah. I want to see them play a tight game. I think it'd be fun, but this is, you're not going to catch them sleeping this year. They, yeah. they try. They work too hard to get to play yeah. to catch them sleeping. And they're coming off so. of a bye week now where they were reminded yet again that for factors that are out of their control, this can be taken away from them. So I think there's a certain sense of desperation that you're getting from Ryan Day in terms of you know making sure that they play enough games to get into that Big Ten championship and to get into that playoff. And I just don't think that Indiana, for as fun of a story as it's been this year, it still comes down to the athletes. And I don't know that Indiana has the athletes to, to hang with them. And the scariest part here, Andy, is if you look at Ohio State's remaining schedule, this is the biggest challenge on Ohio State's schedule, especially now that Michigan is completely punted on the season, it seems like. I don't know who's going to, to challenge them anymore. And this is a 21-point spread almost. So um, it kind of stinks that... Ohio State's one of these teams that seems that's just going to walk into the playoff and we're not going to get any primetime matchups against a team that could potentially beat them. I know people are desperate to make this into that, but that's not what this is. Well, let's talk about another team from the state of Ohio because Cincinnati's going down to Orlando, and this is their biggest challenge so far. And the thing about Cincinnati that I find interesting and the reason why I think they – they more than BYU have would have an outside shot if some crazy stuff happened at making the playoff. Is Cincinnati has utterly dominated some pretty good teams in their league. Now it would be nice if Cincinnati could go play Oregon or somebody like that, and and we could get a better sense of of what they are. Or heck, if if BYU and Cincinnati could play on December nineteenth, just to just to show the committee which one of those is is more interesting. But if that defense at Cincinnati can slow down UCF or that offense can keep up with UCF, either one, then I think we're looking at a really good team. And, and if they blow out UCF the way they've blown out the other teams in their league, I mean, you got to think about them. Because Dylan Gabriel and, and UCF's offense are pretty amazing. I mean, they, they are tough to stop. And Cincinnati has 
has slowed down every offense they've played. They're, nobody's been able to really put up points on them. So if they can keep Dylan Gabriel and, and UCF from putting up points on them, I, they could stop a lot of offenses, even okay. some of these Power 5 ones. Okay, I'm, I'm going to maybe take the show into a little bit of a controversy land right now. And I, I don't it. know, because like, I love watching Cincinnati, and I've loved mm-hmm. watching BYU. I think they're fun stories. I think they're fun, heartwarming stories. But Uh-oh, let me ask here comes you, a big Stars Matter take. Nope, nope, nope. Nothing about Stars. Yeah. No. I mean, I guess you could twist it into that, but that's not what I'm getting at. Let me ask you this. Do you think Cincinnati and BYU are good enough to make the playoff? Or, wrong question. Do you think they could? Is there a chance that they could? Because I'm going to lead you down something here. This I year. Think it would be, I think it would require a lot to happen. Like somebody's got to knock off Clemson and, or Notre Dame and, and get at least one of them out of the picture. So the ACC can only bring one. Uh, one of the SEC teams would have to lose again so that only one SEC team can make it. And then the Big 12's kind of taking care of itself. The Pac-12 may take care of itself. So yes, I do think it's more possible for Cincinnati, like I said, than BYU because BYU's schedule is going to make it impossible. Yeah, because the thing that I'm, I'm, I've been hearing a lot about and listening on podcasts people say is that like this is a weird pandemic year, and even I've said this. It'd be fun if there was a bigger uh, playoff field or a play-in game or something different just to take advantage of the weirdness. But do people think that the playoff committee is going to be pressured or are are like going to be forced to change because of the sadness that BYU and Cincinnati aren't going to get in? Because like to me, no, they they aren't yeah. like that normally. Why would they be like yeah. that now? So, yeah, but I think there seems to be like a bigger groundswell for Cincinnati BYU playoff. I'm just discussion. telling you, if if Cincinnati beats UCF the way they beat SMU or the way they beat Memphis, and they beat SMU 42 to 13, they beat Memphis 49 to 10. If Cincinnati wins this game 40 something to something teen, Cincinnati's really freaking good. Yeah, no, I th- really, I, really freaking good. I know, and potentially capable of playing. With some of these other teams that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, no, and I agree with you 1,000%. I just wanted to make sure that we were on the same page with this playoff thing because yeah, the Yeah, no, I, I don't – they will not be They will not be given a spot out of charity. It will It will require some stuff to happen before yeah. that happens. Because the playoff thing is about the one-loss teams that don't get in more so than the unbeaten teams that are from lower leagues. Like, what if Florida doesn't get exactly. in and they run the table? I mean, I guess that's impossible because exactly. they'd have to beat Alabama. Well, Florida, but like, there's a lot of Florida different... would get in if they run the table. But but here's okay. Here's the question. All right, let, let's let's throw this one at you. Oregon. I mean, <laughs> well, how about that? How about this one? Let's say Oregon doesn't. Let's say Oregon loses a game or even loses two games, and the Pac-12 is out of it. But Alabama wins out the rest of the way to the SEC championship game, and then Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. I would bet they would just take Alabama over Cincinnati in that scenario. Of course. And if they didn't, then people would be more wound up about uh, Alabama not getting in than Cincinnati not getting in. All right, and let me give you another one. Alabama beats Florida in the SEC championship game. Texas A&M finishes 9-1. and It's only lost yeah. to Alabama. I would bet they put Texas A&M over Cincinnati. I mean, it, yeah, it happens every single year. A team... Uh, Ohio State has been in the discussion on the day of the selection show every single year since 2014 and has been a one-loss conference champion that didn't get in on the last day. 
And, and it's, I think and it's been a one-loss out- non-conference champion yeah. that did get in. Right. And I think there's more outrage for the Penn State team that didn't get in and the Ohio State team that didn't get in than you're ever going to feel for Cincinnati not getting in. People want to see Ohio State in because they have a real chance of winning it. So, like, the, the, the stories of Cincinnati and BYU are going to get jobbed this year, just like the playoff expansion discussion isn't about Cincinnati and BYU. It's about whether or not we can make sure Florida, Texas A&M, and Alabama yeah. all have a spot if they earn it. It's not about BYU. They it's were about jobbed. Texas. Yeah, th- those teams were jobbed when the playoff was created. Because yeah. that's just how it works. Until they so, create a playoff field where it's eight or whatever or six or whatever, and they want to put an at-large spot specifically reserved for those teams, the discussion of playoff um, expansion isn't about getting BYU and Cincinnati in. It's about making sure there's enough spots for the Power Five power like Georgia or one of those teams that is in that discussion on the last uh, Sunday or Saturday of the year um, so that everybody in the Power Five that deserves or has a shot to get in gets in. It's not about getting the group of five in. And I hope one day there is a group of five spot, but that's not what this is about. But Cincinnati yeah, even might be as even controversial as you thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. But like a lot of people have this like whole uh, thing of like playoff is going to change this year if Cincinnati beats the crap out of UCF, and it's like no, it's not. <laughs> and I, I think well, that just... I think that what you said is true though. Even even in a year where Cincinnati is really freaking good. And I think that they are, and I believe that they are, and I think that Cincinnati can play with some of these teams. I think Cincinnati could play with Notre Dame. I think Cincinnati could play with a and I don't know if they could play with Florida, but I think they could play with Wisconsin and Oregon, Miami, and Georgia. Um, you know, I don't know if it would translate in every single one of those matchups I just said, but I think they could play with them. It's just not yeah, a compelling I, I think- enough thing to make me want to change my mind about the way the playoff should work. The, the way the playoff well, should work I, is if Florida doesn't get in somehow. Well, right. I mean... Look, and the thing is, you're right. The bigger outcry will be for whatever Power 5 team gets left out. And there will be somebody who's mad about getting left out this year because that's that's the way it works every year. And we talked about how there's there's basically three teams in the SEC that can still make it, uh, two that basically control their destiny, and, and then one that's that got to wait and see. Let's go to the SEC. Uh, we, I mean, Alabama... It looks like they will win comfortably against Kentucky. Kentucky's offense has not been very good at all this year. Uh, Florida's a 31.5-point favorite at Vanderbilt. I'm pretty sure they can cover that because they're trying to win Kyle Trask a Heisman, so he's going to get to play two and a half quarters at least, and they'll they'll be up plenty after that. Yeah, I I don't know about you, Andy, and you live in Gainesville. You're, you've got the Gator fever pulse on your uh, Apple Watch, but... And this might sound stupid, but what what Florida did to Arkansas last week made me a believer, and I wasn't before last week. It made me feel like Florida is better than this. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to this on Friday, I just had a story come out where we take a deep dive into Kyle Trask's six touchdown performance against Arkansas, which, by the way, came without Kyle Pitts. First game he's played without Kyle Pitts, and against a defense that came in leading the nation in interceptions. And you're right, Ari. It, it's really impressive because he's so much better than I thought he could be coming into the season. I thought, and I thought he was going to be a pretty good quarterback, but he has taken another step. He's he just does all the little things right that you want him to do. Now he's he's not as dynamic as Joe Burrow. Like he's not going to make some Houdini escape and and then make a wow, how did he do that throw? But within the confines of their offense, he's going to run it perfectly. He's going to make the correct decision. And he can make throws 
where you go, wow, that was amazing. There, there was a throw he made against Arkansas where he looks, he sees their, I think they rushed six on this play. So he sees their blitzing and he's, he knows that he's got the tight end key on zipper one-on-one. And so he throws it deep into the corner of the end zone, puts enough air under it for Keon Zipper to run under it, and it's, Zipper's the only person who can catch it. The, the, nothing p- bad could possibly happen in terms of Arkansas intercepting the ball. And that's just Kyle Trask understanding his offense. And it, all this happened within half a second. And he just understands the offense. He understands what he's doing, what his role is, how to take care of the ball, how to, how to set up a play where... The only outcome is either neutral or positive, and that's that's all you can really hope for. Is their defense good enough? It's getting better. I, I think it was you know early on it was not very good because of personnel that they, they they were missing guys because of COVID or they're missing guys because they were hurt, and it feels like they're a little bit deeper now. I do think an Alabama, an Ohio State, a Clemson, the, the, a Notre Dame, they're going to score on Florida, but Florida's going to score on everybody else quite a bit. So yeah, I. Are there any elite defenses this year? I don't think I've seen one. I don't think that there needs to be an elite defense to win a national championship anyway. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a necessity. I think elite defenses give up thirty-five points in the playoff. Yeah, I think I think think elite level offense. I think you have to have a. In order to win a national championship, I always used to think that the prerequisite for that was having a certain blue chip ratio. And I think that mm-hmm. that's the case. But on top of that, you need one more step, and that's an NFL quarterback. And probably a yeah. first-round NFL draft. I mean, what has it been, like six, seven years in a row now where the team that's won a national title has an NFL-drafted quarterback? Like, I, I think the yeah, days Kyle, of – Kyle Trask is going to be – If first he's not a first-rounder, he's probably a second-rounder. So, yeah, I, I think – I think he's played his way I into think, the first round already. I think that like that that is exactly what you need. You need this, this dude that's going to that, – you can put you on your back. And how many teams have those this year? I don't know. I think Mac Jones might be one. Yep. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, obviously. Fields, obviously. obviously. Um, I think you, if Trevor's yeah, not there. Depending on which. I think, I think Ian Book is playing like that this year. I don't know that he's obviously not, you know, the NFL people are not going to consider him a first rounder, but you look at the way he's playing, you know, he is really at, at ease within the confines. Of he's their a offense much better year. runner than I thought he was. Yeah. He's yeah, actually I really good. And I think really that's what makes mover. him interesting. Yeah. Um, what about Graham Mertz? Is it too soon? Um, I think it's probably too soon because we, we only had a two game sample size, but it's a really good two games so far. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know that Wisconsin has the blue chip ratio. So, you know, they still don't pass the test on one of them. But I'm just like, I just feel like this is, I don't want it to veer into a Georgia conversation, but I think Georgia is the exact example of what it is to have a super talented team without a stud quarterback. And then you could be good enough. And I think that Georgia, who's starting JT Daniels, I read, by the way, uh, yes. is uh, might you know be a little well, bit more is intriguing it, is to it watch. Is it Mississippi State the team that you do that against? Because if you're Georgia, you're reasonably confident you can rush three or four and drop seven or eight and contain Mississippi State's offense yeah they figured so it out you don't need to score very much to win this game so you if you want to experiment at quarterback now's your chance spreads 25 too so uh, I don't know if this one was on our list but I'd lay the 25 yeah let's one more in the SEC and, and it's another one similar to the LSU situation where I have no idea which team is coming to this game this is Tennessee at Auburn Auburn is is an 11 point favorite 
If you watch Tennessee play in the last few games, you think, okay, Auburn's going to cover this pretty easily. But but which Auburn team is coming? The one that destroyed LSU? The one that lost to South Carolina? Uh, the one that should have lost to Arkansas? I have no idea. I have no idea which Auburn team is going to be there. If the game against LSU was anything of an indication of what we can expect because Auburn has grown or, or turned the page or something, this is not going to be close to that 11-point spread. It's going to be a lot worse. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of these teams in the uh, SEC this year where you're not quite sure what you're going to get. And, like, I go back to week one or the first week or two of the SEC season, and, you know, maybe I can't remember. It was Auburn, Georgia, week two for them. Um, I, mm-hmm. thought that, yep. I thought that Auburn was going to beat Georgia. I thought Auburn was a dark horse to win the SEC after their opener against Kentucky. And, like, now with context, I don't know that we – uh, exactly know who they are anymore, and we have the- no idea. I mean, Auburn, and you think about the Auburn Georgia game. So Stetson Bennett starts that game, goes the whole way in that game, and Georgia manhandled Auburn, killed them. I realize Georgia's defense was fully intact and healthy at that point, but that that's not the Auburn team we saw against LSU. Mm-mm. So I don't know. I don't know who shows up. That's I like, but the thing is, and this is this is not good for Tennessee. I don't know that Auburn covers, but I think Auburn wins no matter which Auburn shows up. Yeah, I mean, because I think we know what's going to show up on the other side. So, you know, I mean, I don't think it's that controversial to, you know, put your faith in a double-digit favorite to win at home. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm i just so disappointed that Tennessee didn't, didn't turn the corner this year. Yeah, David Ubbin has a, a good story. Our Tennessee beat writer has a good story about everything that's happened you know, since this season started. And, and look, they started in the top 15. <laughs> that doesn't actually mean anything. Everybody was just guessing as far as the, the rankings go. They, they were never actually a top 15 team. But given the way they ended last season, given the, the recruiting happiness that they seemed to enjoy over the summer, which, I mean, those were commitments for the class of 2021, so those, those players haven't actually signed yet. But given all that stuff, it looked like they had a lot of momentum. And it looks like that momentum has completely stalled. Yeah, and even in the recruiting realm, it's stalled um, a little bit. And they, they filled their class up super fast, and they've done a good job of holding on to those guys. And I hope that for their sake that they'll hold on to some of these top-end players that are in their class in 2021. Um, but I just don't know, when you look at the Tennessee program from top to bottom, it's like, what is the thing that you look at and say, yeah, this is what's going to be better about it in three years? And, you know, you said this on a previous podcast before, and I agree with you. It's one of the toughest jobs in America, and I think it's like a hard sell to get somebody to go in there and really, really be the guy to turn it around. And it's like, what kind of personality, what coach, what do you need to do? at What do you need to do at Tennessee to make this bet better? It's really hard. What's I mean, the you plan? Have to, you've got to recruit nationally because your your state will not provide enough talent. You really need to find somebody who can go into Atlanta and get people the last time they were really good just you know nationally elite recruiting every single year was back when Rodney Garner worked for them when Philip Fulmer was the the head coach and they had a really good pipeline into Atlanta now they were also really good at going to California and get players and they could go to to Louisiana and get some players and they could go up into Virginia and get players so you've got to be able to recruit nationally at Tennessee you have to have very thick skin because that is one of the highest pressure jobs I, I think there's more pressure on the Tennessee coach than there is pretty much anywhere in sports except maybe Yankees manager. Like, I think it's more pressure than Alabama, as, as weird as that sounds. And Alabama expects national titles. The difference is, you know, that they're just, 
they understand things a little bit better. The Tennessee fans do not understand how hard their job is now. They think it's that they are on par with Alabama and Florida and Georgia, and they're just not. Tennessee's recruiting class in 2021, which we once were drooling over in terms of how great it was, is ranked number 11 nationally. First point I want to make is it's fifth best in the SEC. So even I was going to say that. What does that mean in the SEC? And then the other point I wanted to make, and this goes back to the uh, Mario Cristobal discussion, is Mario Cristobal has 11 players who rate in the top 150 in his Oregon class. This Tennessee class has three in the top 150. Four in the top 150, but still the point remains. There's a huge talent gap between even Tennessee and what they're building in Oregon right now. So I don't know what the standard is. Do they want to win 10 games? Do they want to win nine games to see some sort of improvement? But as good as this class is, um, especially because it's top heavy, they've got Terrence Lewis out of Miami, who's a top 20 player, and a a five-star or fringe five-star defensive end, Dylan Brooks out of Alabama. So you have two top end um, heavy players talents but in terms of how this this class stacks up Andy it doesn't stack up against the teams that they think they should be beating and it's just at a certain point you just have to accept reality too and I don't know if this is an accept reality program of you know they're not Bama they're not going to be Alabama and they're not close to becoming Alabama like well that's the thing don't and they're trying to do it like Alabama and like Georgia maybe that's not the right way to handle that because you may not be able to They've got you know, six commitments just, out of Alabama. You may not be able to compile that kind of talent. Six commitments out of Alabama, five out of Tennessee, four out of Georgia, four out of Florida, four out of North Carolina, one Maryland, one Texas, one Virginia. And it's just like, I don't know if that's the correct plan. Maybe it is. But maybe the Tennessee number should be 12. And you just like build through the team, the the, the state that uh, you have. The I don't problem know. is there's just not that much talent in the state. Now, look, Nashville is a boom town. It is a booming yeah, Metropolis. It and is getting bigger and that. bigger and bigger. But the problem is, I don't think Nashville is going to be where they want it to be or where they need it to be as a producer of talent for another decade, probably in terms of population. I mean, look at look at Atlanta. It took Atlanta twenty years of that kind of growth before it became. That. Oh, sure, and it, I don't think that we can even pretend that it's ever going to be even like. But and Phoenix has been growing that way for ten years, and it's not there yet. Yeah, it it'll need another ten years before it can yeah. can really consistently produce. Because like all that. the babies are still six, eight years old, and it's not important until they're eighteen. But here's the thing: I wanted to to point out though, Andy, they've got five commitments in the state of Tennessee right now. Guess how many in the top five are going to Tennessee? Zero. Uh, and <laughs> of the top five players in the state of Tennessee, um, you've got um, two top hundred players. Uh, the four-star tight end out of uh, the Nashville area is going to Clemson. You know, Michigan's in there with a top 100 commit. Ohio State's taking a top 200 player at safety. Uh, Notre Dame's taking a two top 200 player um, at linebacker. And Clemson's taking another offensive lineman who's in the top 200. So when you talk, talk about, like, the way that Tennessee's class is structured right now, and I don't know how this became a Tennessee podcast, but I'm kind of loving it. They've got five commitments out of Tennessee. It should be 10, and they should have five more commitments in the top 200 than they already have right now. And you can get rid of some of these these players in the bottom half. they got a three-star commitment uh, out of Alabama who's a top 875 player, but that's nobody that they can't get closer to home. Um three-star players out of North Carolina, Alabama, and uh, and even 
um, Florida that aren't really big time players that they can't reproduce at home. So I don't know if it's just like national for the sake of national, but they got to close at the very least at the players in Nashville, don't they? Well, that's what Butch Jones tried to do. Of course, that also leads to Jalen Hurd getting carries over Alvin Kamara, and and you getting clowned for that yeah. later on. So, yeah. I mean that that's that's the thing. It's it's sort of a double edged sword. But you're right. You you do need to control your state's borders. And look, that state's borders are tough to control. You know, Nashville is two and a half hours drive from Knoxville. It's about three hours from Tuscaloosa. It's you know it's not that far to get a lot of places from there. So I don't know that people, and the other thing about Nashville as a quick growing area, and you see this in Atlanta too, there's not as much of a, a tie to the home state team because the people, the family might not necessarily be from the state. So they may not care one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same challenges I think that Arizona has and Arizona state have and, and Phoenix and some of these other transient cities. And I know that you know, this is another story that I've been wanting to pursue, and hopefully one day I'll be able to once this Corona stuff was. But to go to Nashville, part of Nashville's um, booming population too is like relocation from Katrina, and some of the families who like bailed north out of New Orleans, and and I think Nashville is one of the cities that they all really ended up in. And like, how long ago was Katrina? Now over ten years ago. Fifteen so, years ago. So these, yeah. Yeah, so these kids now are starting to become recruitable athletes, and that's why you're starting to see LSU going to to Nashville and getting some of these guys in the preview because these these displaced New Orleans families are in that city now. And I I know that sounds yeah. kind of odd, but if it there's doesn't. a I mean, population you saw it, you saw it in shift Houston already, yeah, it, it happened in Houston over the last ten years where you had displaced Louisianans who, you know. You see these Houston kids, and, and look, LSU always recruited Houston because of the proximity. But you'd see LSU popping up on all these Houston kids' radar, and a lot of it is because it was families had moved from Louisiana, yeah, fairly recently. But so, if they live there, yeah, they no, live I, there. And I know that like it's not like the Tiger uh, love that you have when you were talking about top hundred players in the state of Louisiana, but. You know, geography is king here, and if any advantage that they can get from the shift in that geography, you know, Nashville is a major, major piece of Tennessee's recruiting footprint, and um, there's too many good players in Nashville this year alone that aren't going to Tennessee that should be. Speaking of geography, I messed this up, and I messed it up when I sent you our list of lines today, and I messed it up again when we were talking Big Ten. You were talking about maybe the Big Ten West is better than the Big Ten East, we forgot to, to talk about one line. Wisconsin, seven and a half pay, point favorite at Northwestern in a game that historically, at least recent history, has been very close. I uh, know that every single time these two teams play, it's close. And I think that Wisconsin's only won like once or twice uh, in uh, Northwestern Stadium, Ryan Field, in the last 10 or 15 years. Like, Jesse Temple uh, gave me a good stat, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but basically the stat is Wisconsin sucks at Northwestern. <laughs> and Northwestern's defense has been really good, and I think it's only allowed uh, two completions, he said, of more than 30 yards this year or, or something crazy like that. And it's just like well, so, it's super easy. Go ahead. But it's super easy. Uh, to, I was say, Wisconsin won in Evanston in 2016. They won 21-7. to before that, you have to go back to... I think it's like 03, right? 99. 
1999. Ron Dane <laughs> was involved in the game. Let me tell you something. I'm laying the points. You want to know why? Because this is the team that's supposed to be different. This is the team <laughs> okay. that's supposed to have something different. If Graham Mertz is different, then why are we going to compare them to what Wisconsin's teams did in 2005? They have an NFL quarterback for the first time in that same time span. And I know that Northwestern's defense has been really good, but the physical nature in which this team is playing, the way they beat up on a Michigan team last week that should be athletically better than they showed, I am buying Wisconsin. And I bought them the first two weeks. I'm buying them again. As long as Graham Mertz is healthy and playing, I'm a Wisconsin buyer. I'm laying the points. All right. Well, that that settles that. And <laughs> I thought you would say that. I don't I don't I don't think I will. <laughs> I think I'll take Northwestern to cover. I, I seriously cuz their defense has been so good and it just seems like they know how to bog these games down. And they got just enough on offense to keep it interesting. Whereas last year obviously they had no offense to speak of. So, yeah, Peyton Ramsey and and those guys that just enough. So, I am going to take Northwestern to cover. We're not placing a bet on this cuz again, you've got a bet to pay off later. But Let's move on to the Big 12. One game of national interest in the Big 12, and that is Bedlam. Oklahoma is a touchdown favorite. Ari, this line seems correct to me because the history of this rivalry says that Oklahoma State has to be prohibitively better than Oklahoma to beat the Sooners. Not just a little better, because they find a way to lose when that happens. They need to be prohibitively better. And I'm not sure they're prohibitively better than Oklahoma this year. Yeah, I don't know. Is Oklahoma doing that thing where they lose a game or two in the beginning of the year, everybody forgets about them, and then they quietly get good again? Um, or Entirely least... possible. This could be 2015 all over again, yeah. Yeah, we're like uh, looking at a 60-point total here, and you know, I don't know. I haven't watched Oklahoma since they started stinking in the beginning of the year, so I don't know if their defense Defense is getting... has gotten better over the has last it? few weeks. I... Now, that might be opponent-dependent, but it has gotten better. Yeah, and wasn't one of those opponents Kansas? One of those opponents was Kansas. That so is true. Um, I don't know how much I can take from that. I just feel like if some team is taking seven, and what is Oklahoma? The Oklahoma State's the third best team in the Big Twelve. We think second, third, or fourth best team. I think they're probably the, they could be the second best or the best. Yeah. Well, if the best team <laughs> or the second best team is getting, I guess we'll find a, out today. Getting points in a rivalry game, um, I'll take the seven. I don't, I don't know that Oklahoma can stop a nosebleed. I don't know that I believe that they can. Oklahoma State's had some stagnant times, and you know they predictively lost a game they probably shouldn't have um, to put themselves in a position to be in the college football playoff, but I don't know that that means that I'm laying a po uh, seven points in the Oklahoma game. Um, and this is a rivalry game, and Oklahoma has owned this rivalry, and you know they deserve credit right now, but this version of Oklahoma, are you laying seven to anybody? That's even no. remotely competent. Yeah, I, I, I think Oklahoma's going to cover. I, oh, I, you do? This is. Oh yeah, yeah. Just because the history of the series, I, I, I need to see Oklahoma State play up to its ability. Now, I will say I was at Bedlam two years ago, and that was one where Oklahoma State was not better than Oklahoma. This was the Kyler Murray Oklahoma team, and Oklahoma State had a chance to win the game with a two-point conversion at the end. And and really, if they hadn't fumbled down the stretch, I think they, they would have won the game. So maybe that's turning. I don't know. But the, the thing is, it's just there's not enough evidence 
that Oklahoma State, you ju- that you can just play this straight up because it feels like they have to be so much better than Oklahoma to just win the game, and they're not that. I, I don't know if they are better than Oklahoma this year. Yeah, I think that there's a, this is a I'd be afraid to touch it type of game, but if I have to touch it, I think I'm taking points in this one. All right, let's move to the Pac-12. We talked about the Oregon Ducks. I think Oregon needs to find a way to play BYU. I think that would help them. I don't know that anybody in the Pac-12 is going to give them much of a challenge. And the thing is, if somebody in the Pac-12 beats them, then it just looks really bad. But you get UCLA. UCLA won its first game on Sunday, beating Cal. Now, Cal had had, had trouble getting on the field and, and you know, had had a game canceled and uh, defensive line couldn't practice with the rest of the team. And, and UCLA went off and, and the offense looked really good and competent for the first time in a long time. But now they're playing Oregon. And it feels like a back-to-reality situation for the Bruins. God, can we just get that to work, <laughs> the BYU game? I get so excited yeah. just thinking about it. Can we just somebody get to- needs to cancel on them, and BYU needs to show up in Eugene, and let's have some fun. Now BYU's playing North Alabama this week, so like you can buy that game out five seconds before kickoff. Like if there's any Pac-12 team that's in any danger, you call that team's opponent, and you're like, "Come on, let's do this." Yeah, I mean, I just want to watch that. I think we want to see Oregon play um, a legitimately good team, and I think we want to get an idea of how good BYU is. I think it'd be one of the highest-rated games of the weekend, and I don't know how much of this stuff is fantasy land, wishful thinking, and how much of it's actual reality or, or potential possibility, um, considering the fact that the Pac-12 did now allow these uh, these non-conference games to happen. But I would be much more excited to watch Oregon play BYU than I would against UCLA. And UCLA has actually shown a pulse. Um, and part of me wants UCLA to be fun again and wants Chip Kelly to realize uh, you know, the magic potion and get things going there in Los Angeles. But this game, to me, seems to be an e- another easy cover for Oregon. Um, I don't know that I uh, would take the under, <laughs> but I think that Oregon will be able to score at will, and I think UCLA will get some points too. So um, certainly going to be an entertaining game to watch, but I want to get – I'm more excited to watch games with context about, like, what are we going to learn about these teams in this national what, championship race. What's the race? spread if BYU goes to Autzen and plays Oregon? What's the spread? I think Oregon will probably still get 10. Really? Or lay ten, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Ooh, seven. I think, so I think it would be a good in the trenches matchup. I think that would be. Fantastic. I mean, BYU is tough. BYU is tough, and I guess BYU probably has the better quarterback. Maybe ten is way off. I don't know. That's what I. That's what. That's why when you said it, I was like, "You sure about that?" Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel maybe like maybe five and a half. And a hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I just think the yeah, way BYU off. plays up front would, would make them a bet, a good matchup for Oregon. Yeah, uh, ten, that would make make them probably a better matchup than anybody else in the pack. Than anybody in the Pac-12. Uh, speaking of, of the rest of the Pac-12, USC going to Utah. USC is a three point favorite. We don't know anything about Utah. They have not played a game yet. I'm taking Utah. You are. Because USC has played two games that it should have lost and, and had the, the rabbit's foot or the horseshoe yanked out of USC where has, the sun don't shine. 
Yeah, USC has been the version of USC that they couldn't be this year if Clay Helton wanted to keep his job. They just haven't paid the consequence for it yet. And now they're going on a road against what could be the second-best team in the Pac-12. And, you know, if USC is struggling against U of A, um, I don't know if whatever's going on there, things are clicking. Um, I think that I would blindly just take the points here. Home points? Man, it's exactly right. You get, you're getting a field goal at home. So... And it's cold. I, I thought you might say that, but I just don't know what Utah is. I mean, no clue. But you know what USC what is. Be. That's true. USC is a team that should have lost to Arizona. USC is a team that isn't putting it together again. So however that yeah. manifests, it's the, the simple way is I don't really know how to describe it other than they're, they're not putting it together. And if they're not putting right, it together, one, then I'm, I'm going to take the points. Simple. We have one more compelling matchup for the weekend. Will Ari beat the rest of the buyers and get a PlayStation 5? Oh, my God. How, what is the business plan here? Like, what is the business plan? It's, it's mad. As someone who has, has been attempting to acquire a PlayStation 5 as a Christmas gift for a child, uh, it is, uh, it's maddening. You because, got one. Like, when I want an iPhone, if it's a new iPhone, let's say I'm not the person who stays up till midnight, or I actually think they're 8 a.m., Eastern time when they when they launch their iPhones. But let's say I'm not the person who gets the initial stock. I can still give them some money or promise to give them some money, and they'll say, we will send you a phone on December 2nd when the second rollout comes. That does not happen in video game land, apparently. You have to just sit there and pray that you're ready when the nowinstock.net alert comes through that they're at Walmart or they're at GameStop. Or what, and they won't tell you, we're going to have more now. It's, well, we might have more sometime eventually. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, don't these people want, like, why would they not make it easier to take my money? Yeah, I agree. And I do the sneakers app and I collect some of these Jordans and sell some of them and buy them and do all that and I understand that like scarcity of certain products makes the product more valuable in the resale market and thus like but this is a mass market product that's what I'm getting at <laughs> so <laughs> like if you're an electronics company and you're trying to sell it in time uh, for Christmas shopping and for people like this me is your who introduction just play to an it. ecosystem that has people paying you $60 for a game. I know like, you want them to have the thing so that they can then give you more money for the other stuff. I know it's like, that's the whole thing. The reason why Apple stock is the most well-performing stock on the market right now. It's not because people are buying iPhones. It's because once they have the iPhone their your hooks are in you and you're stuck buying things out of the app store and constantly rebuying, um, digital products and buying cases and all the things and buying a Mac yeah. computer and charging like all, cords, all yeah, this exactly. bull crap that you have to buy on top of it. If you make the thing that gets the hooks in you hard to get, it's a, it's a poor business plan. <laughs> it's just stupid. And I'm buying so, Xboxes because I can't get their hands on a PS five and good. So why I sound so relaxed right now is one of my wife's coworkers who isn't trying to get a PlayStation five, but just enjoys this sort of thing for the sport of it. Got one on GameStop and said, if you Venmo me the money, I'll just give it to you. I'm like, okay. So I got one coming. Who is this person? Because I got they shut out. on eBay? Well, she's a very nice person. That's, that's all. She, again, it was for the sport. 
Yeah, well, she's doing it for the love of the game, Ari. She's not doing it for money. She's taking stuff away from people like me who's like dying to have the product because she loves well, the no, game. She's giving it to her, my kid. You can tell so, her I hate her. I hate. I hate her, and I, and I resent your kid. Well, so I. So, but I. Now, I was attempting to get one too. I had one in my cart at Walmart. And I'm hitting checkout, 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 Mm-mm. and I got every single error message you can possibly get. Yeah, I, uh, I just don't get it. I really don't. I just, you know, or at least let us put it on the list, and then um, a PlayStation like put an email in and put your uh, credit card information in and create a list. And once you're uh, you win, charge your card and send it to us, and take all this bullcrap out of it. You know, and. The funny thing is, too, is that I ter- traded in my PS4 like two months ago, um, waiting just to get the credit so that I could do this. And now I'm not even trying to get it at GameStop and use that credit anymore. I just want to get the console anywhere, and I can't find it anywhere. And I, me and you pushed back the recording of this podcast because we both wanted to try to get one on, on Walmart. And, of course, you are just a better – you're better at life than me, so you found a way to find one. <laughs> but, like, I'm just, like, sitting here waiting to find one anywhere, and I can't I can't find it, and it's well, frustrating. I, I, I will give you the pro tip. Look for bundles because the resellers don't want bundles. The resellers want consoles. So, uh, But I don't want the, the bundle. Sam's They're, like, $900. And, well, no, this one wasn't. Uh, but and, – and you get dollar-per-dollar dollar value on all of it. So, yeah. like – this one came with a digital console, which is what I want. I don't. I don't want to deal with discs anyways. This this isn't 19.99, and it, instead of a couple of games, you get a hundred dollar gift card to the PlayStation Store. Yeah. So, but so GameStop has bundles. Uh, Sam's Club and Costco are going to have bundles in the next week. So that's that's my pro tip to all of you out there trying to find one of these things, and and you're about to hit a jingle all the way situation. Turbo man, have faith. <laughs> have have faith. Uh, By the way, Ari, I do know of one company that makes it very easy for you to spend your money with. You know who that is? The Athletic. Yeah. If you would like to read the best sports writing on earth, if you would like to have access to writers who cover all of your favorite college teams, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, international soccer, you name it. You can go to our website, theathletic.com. You can hit a slash, and then you can type in my name, Andy Staples, A-N-D-Y-S-T-A-P-L-E-S. And you can give us some money, and we'll give you a subscription. And in fact, you can give us less money than usual right now, and we'll give you a subscription. It's a buck a week for your first six months. So go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples, and if you give us money, we will give you stuff. And that's better than Sony can say right now. So there you go. We got yeah. that going for us. Yeah. It's, but a, it's Ari, a solid business model. Uh, create a product and then sell the product at ease. Exactly. Exactly. Ari, you and I will be back together late, late Saturday night. We may hey, we'll watch some Pac-12 After Dark together as we record the podcast because we're breaking down all the games when they're over. And that's always fun, but it's even more fun with you. So Ari, we will talk again after the games, I hope to hear that you have a PlayStation 5 coming your way. Yeah, uh, either way, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again and try to get the hot take machine out and get fired up about some of these games and, and really have some fun after the game. So looking forward to it. All right, we will talk to everybody on Sunday morning. Get your brunches ready. I won't be partaking. I'll be drinking water. But you guys will be cooking brunch, and we'll be talking games. We'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.